Amen. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to invite you to open them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Just a break this week from uh, the book of Genesis. Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. We'll study down through verse 38 this morning. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, a few things I want to remind you of. Uh, upward season is just around... <coughs> excuse me. Go i got this cough I can't get rid of. I don't know what's about, but anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, I realized something earlier. I'm so grateful for Pastor Jim because he's a, it just reminded me, my jokes are not the only ones that fall flat. I, I needed that. I, I needed that. Uh, fortunately, I've got a couple of boys at the house that they, they tell me, Dad, you, you run them by us first. All right? We give you the thumbs up. The thumbs are down. I don't always take their advice, but... Thank you, Pastor Jim. It really made me feel better about myself this morning. Um, <laughs> it's good to see all of you here today. Uh, but upward season is coming. Upward season is coming. And um, we're planning to have an upward season. I'm excited about that. We, we have a great uh, children's ministry team that's helping to organize this. And so many of you have registered your children or your grandchildren. And, and uh, so grateful for that, that you're, you're willing to participate. But we want everybody to participate, even if you don't have kids that are involved or grandkids that are involved. And so we want to ask you to do something for us. We want you to ask you, ask you to pick up one of our prayer bracelets. We have prayer bracelets out in the foyer area here, outside the K-Hall. And uh, if, if you're watching this morning, DeSoto, you can swing by here, pick up one of those prayer, prayer bracelets. If you're at Olathe, if you're uh, Washington venue, make sure you pick up one of those. But that gives you an opportunity to pray for a family. Uh, many of the kids that will participate in our upper program, they don't, uh, they don't have a church home. And, and, and you guys know this, the whole reason we do uh, the Upward program is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that's the foundation of everything we do. So this is not just to teach kids about basketball. We're trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to connect people with God through faith in, in Christ. So uh, I do want to encourage you to pick up one of those bracelets, and it'll give you an opportunity to participate. Also, this fall, we're planning to have midweek Bible study and discipleship occur here at the church. Um, so it, I, I do want to warn you at the outset, um, it's going to look a little different than, than what we've done in the past. So we're just trying to take steps forward. Um, uh, so some groups are going to start meeting the January the 6th. Other groups may wait a little while. Um, some of the groups are going to look a little different, but uh, I want to encourage you to go to the website. The website's the place where you're going to get all the details. So go to the website and check out what we're offering. And, uh, and then you pray about whether or not it's the right time for you to come back. Everybody's in a different situation and uh, I just want to encourage you to pray what God's leading you to do, but we want to make those available to you. So go to the website. If you have additional questions, uh, come and ask us. And, and in the midst of all that, uh, I do want to remind you, we, we're planning to have Christmas Eve services as well. Uh, Christmas Eve services on Eve Eve, Wednesday. Uh, uh, we're having a service right here in this room. And then on Christmas Eve, 3, 5, and 11. And uh, also at Fellowship Olathe, they're going to have... Christmas Eve service, and then uh, also at Reach, Reach Church DeSoto. So Reach Church is joining us online, and, and they're going to have services out there, two services on Christmas Eve. And, and so I, I want to encourage you to be there, it, but also just pray about that. I know not everybody's in the same place, and um, in, in all seriousness, let's just try to be respectful of everybody. Don't, I, I've already prayed with a lot of families that, that, that this whole deal is, is creating a wedge. Listen, let's be respectful of one another. Let's be patient with one another. Everybody's in a different place. Everybody's got to pray about what's right and best for them. What we're trying to do is create an opportunity for you. On Christmas Eve, 
Uh, the services will be in both the K Hall and in this room. And th that's just in, in an effort to try to create a little more space. So if, if you want to spread out a little bit, you'll ho hopefully you'll have that opportunity. So um, we'll have candlelight communion services at all those. And it's going to be a good time together as we worship the King who has come. So this morning, though, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. You know, this, is, uh, this passage is, is really at the heart of Christianity. I mean, th this, is, this is critical. This is really uh, the watershed moment of the New Testament. Um, you know, we've, we've been studying in Genesis, and you'll remember in Genesis, uh, right after the fall, God made a promise, didn't he? In Genesis 3.15, we've talked a lot about Genesis 3.15. Um, but Genesis 3.15, after the fall, God, in pronouncing a curse upon Satan, do you remember what he says? He says, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And he, one man, he, he's speaking to Satan, this one man, he will crush your head, Satan, but you will bruise him on the heel. And right there, right after the fall, God made a promise You've sinned, but I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send somebody who's going to defeat sin, Satan, and death. And he's going to create a way for you to again have a right relationship and have fellowship with me. So as I said last week, don't ever let anybody tell you that Christianity begins in first century. Christianity begins right there. In fact, Christ is known before the foundation of the world, so it goes back further than that. But God makes that promise right there. And then what do we see? What have we been seeing even as we walk through Genesis? That, that as you walk through Genesis, uh, the question is, who is this one? Who's this person? Who's this one man? And, and the focus continues to narrow as we go, doesn't it? You know, we, we, we learn he's got to be of Eve, and then he's got to be of Seth, and then he, he's got to be of Noah, and then he's got to be of Shem, and then he's got to be of Abraham, and he's got to be of Isaac and, and Jacob and as we'll learn later in Genesis 39, it's got to be of Judah. And then, then you work your way down further in 2 Samuel 12, uh, 7. He's got to be of David. That the whole New Testament creates this crosshairs, this big neon sign that points us to one person. Whoever the Messiah is, he's got to check all these boxes. Not just anybody can show up saying, I'm the Messiah. No, they got to be able to trace their lineage back in this way. But, but, but the whole Old Testament is just this constant whispering, He's coming. And it's narrowing the focus. And the last thing you hear in the Old Testament, the, the, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, you remember the very last words as God signs off in the Old Testament. You got the intertestamental period, you got 400 years of silence. Before God signs off in the book of Malachi, you remember the last thing God says is there's going to be somebody who comes who precedes the Messiah. And he's the forerunner. He'll come in the spirit of Elijah. And he will be the forerunner. He, he'll be like the bailiff. You know, you know, in a courtroom, the bailiff walks in, and he says, all rise. And what does he say? The judge is coming, and he's the final authority. Well, there's going to be this forerunner who's going to come into the room, and he's going to announce that the judge is here. So whoever the Messiah is, he's got to be preceded by this guy. Last word of God in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And then you got 400 years of silence, the intertestamental period, until Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, Israel, the nation's in a very dark spot. They are dominated, they're controlled by a pagan nation known as Rome. And Rome has set up an authority over them 
a guy by the name of Herod. And Herod is an Edomite. We've learned about the Edomites in Genesis, haven't we? Edomites are descendants of who? Of Esau. They're, they're enemies of Israel. So Israel's not in a good spot. They're in a bad place, controlled by pagans, told what to do. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to study on Christmas Eve, they've got to pay taxes to a Roman governor. It's a bad spot for them to be in. It's a very dark place. But in Luke chapter 1, there's a faithful couple, isn't there? There's a faithful couple, and the wife's name is Elizabeth, and the husband's name is Zacharias. Zacharias, you know what Zacharias means? It means God remembers. Elizabeth's name means God's covenant. You put the two of them together, and guess what it means? God remembers his covenant. Isn't this beautiful? You've got this this, this older couple just being faithful to God, whose names together mean God remembers his covenant, and yet they got a problem. They can't have a child. Does that sound familiar? But Zacharias, he's in the priestly line, and in the priestly line, you, you could only serve in going into the Holy of Holies one time in your entire lifetime. And it's not something you got to pick. You were chosen by the casting of lots. So they cast the lots on this particular day. And guess who the lot falls to? Zacharias. And Zacharias goes into the temple. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He would do the work of of, of putting fresh coals and, and cleaning it out. And then he would offer incense and he would pray on behalf of the nation. In fact, the whole nation would be praying outside and what were they praying send the messiah so he's in there in the presence of god before the ark of god in front of the mercy seat and to the right of him appears who gabriel and gabriel says what you're going to have a child and he will be the forerunner and all of a sudden in the midst of this darkness a little light begins to flicker doesn't it A little light begins to show up in the scene. And in the same region, about the same time, in the same region, the same messenger appears to a college freshman girl, about 18, 19 years old, just going about the routine of her day. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to have a baby. And he'll be conceived by the Holy Spirit And he'll be the son of the most high. And his name will be Jesus. God saves. Do you see how meaningful, how significant this text is? This is the anticipation of all the Old Testament. Who is he? Where is he coming from? Who will he be? We've been waiting. And God says, here's the forerunner. And then God says, here he is. He's come. This is the announcement of the incarnation of Christ. Uh, By the way, what does that word incarnation mean? What does incarnation mean? You and I, we are born. Uh, Our birth, really our conception is the beginning of our existence. Jesus was not merely born. Jesus was incarnated. Because Jesus... He eternally existed, right? He's God. 
His incarnation is the moment when his deity united with humanity. The incarnation is the is its perfect humanity and unblemished deity united in one man forever for the salvation of our sins. Because in order for us to have salvation, God himself must die. But God can't die because he's God. So Christ puts on flesh so that he can die for our sins. This is, this passage is, it's a profound truth. It's a theological truth. Deep theological truth. But it's also what we see here, the incarnation of Christ. It's historical, right? This is set, don't you love this? It's set in time and space and history. Even as we read these things, Luke, it's obvious, his, he writes the entire gospel. He says he writes it to Theophilus. He's writing historical facts. He's relating history to us. They're staggering facts, but they are facts nonetheless. This is the truth. He's just saying this is what happened. So it's theological and it's, it's historical, but it is also incredibly mysterious. This truth that we see in this passage of the incarnation of Christ, it's, it's so sublime, it's so high, there's no way we can fully grasp it. There's no way we can really put our minds around this. The psalmist, you remember what the psalmist said? Such knowledge is too wonderful. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. C.S. Lewis said that the deepest longing of man is to know that somebody loves him. Every human being on the face of this earth has a deep longing in their heart to know that somebody cares about them. Do you know what the message is of the incarnation? You know the message of Christmas is that somebody really big cares about you. And his name is God. And he sent his son Jesus into the filth of humanity to save you from your sins. But this thought that God would put on flesh, that deity would unite himself with humanity, it's so high, it's, it's, it's mysterious, it's beyond our ability. Nobody's ever been able to explain it, and nobody's ever been able to fully grasp it. You know, the author of Hebrews says that anyone who comes to God must believe that God exists, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. But listen, that, that's... That's not what you hear most people say. What most people say is that I'll never believe it until I can fully understand it. You ever heard that said? I'm never going to believe it until I can fully understand it. Listen to me. The Bible declares to you, Hebrews declares to you, that you'll never begin to grasp it until you believe it. That's what the Word of God says. And so I say all that to tell you this morning kind of as a warning. That as we come to this passage, we must come with humility. I, w- I was even reminded as I was studying it this week, you, the only way to study this passage is on your knees. You just come in humility. We, we don't, you don't scrutinize the God of all creation. 
We, we don't bring the creator of the universe down to examine him. No, God examines us, doesn't he? So we come to this text with, with humility. I, just a long introduction, but I wanted you to know this morning, I, I'm not in any way trying to explain this to you. I, I can't. There's no way. I was reminded again this week as I was trying to go through this. No way. It's too high. It's too wonderful. But I pray this morning as we study this, we're just, we're just going to read it. I'm going to make brief comment. But I pray that you would again stand in awe and wonder of a God who would leave the glory of heaven just to come and save you. You know, we talk about God so loved the world, but Christmas will never become really meaningful to you until you realize that he didn't come to save the world, he came to save you. Until it becomes personal. He did all this for you. So with that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we, we come before you very humbly today. We, we can't grasp the, 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 the truths in this text are too high for us. No way. God, I just pray that you would speak to us by means of your living word today. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, anybody at Olathe, anybody at Reach Church, anybody watching online, anybody in this room, anybody in the venue service, I, I don't know them, God, but you do. You made them. You sent your son Jesus to die for them. God, I pray that you would speak to them today by means of your holy word and you'd draw them to yourself. They'd see how much you love them. Just overwhelm them, God, with your love. And they might not understand all this. Certainly none of us do. None of us can fully agree. This is too high, but God, I pray that they would trust you. They'd hear a word from you. And like Mary and Joseph, they would simply trust and obey. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And here we learn that Jesus' hometown is going to be the city of Nazareth. And what God records for us, none of it's insignificant. If God records something to us, for us, it's, it's significant. And where you're from has connotations. Where, where you grew up, your hometown, tells us a lot about you. You know, for example, I was born in Oklahoma. We all know Oklahoma is associated with intelligence and wisdom and great things. I mean, you're just, just synonymous. You can't hardly think of Oklahoma without thinking. Dane's shaking his head back there. He knows what I'm talking about. All joking aside, though, where we're from tells us something about us, doesn't it? Oftentimes, what is the first thing you'll do when you, when you talk to somebody? Where are you from? I notice an accent. Where are you from? Right here from the get-go, God wants to let us know where Jesus is from because it tells us a lot about Jesus. It, just like in our day, certain locations had connotations that went along with them. If you were from Athens, if you were from Alexandria, that was a place of wisdom and knowledge. If you were from Rome, Rome was associated with a, with a mighty, with a noble. But Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nazareth was, was probably the most irreligious spot in all of Israel outside of Samaria. Uh, Nazareth is in the far northern portion of Israel, so they had to, to, to do business with Gentiles. And it was so far north that they couldn't come down and worship at the temple. And so they just viewed as ir irreligious people. And in fact, you'll remember it was Nathaniel who said, 
He was told, come meet Jesus of Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know who the Messiah is, but surely there's no way the Messiah is coming from Nazareth. And yet Jesus, his hometown, we know he's born in Bethlehem, but his hometown is Nazareth. Why would God do this? Number one, it's kind of interesting, but the Nazareth, the root word is, is uh, the Hebrew root word is Nazir. And it means tender shoot. In Isaiah 53, you'll remember in Isaiah 53, prophesying about the Christ, says he grew up before him like a tender shoot. A Nazir is if, if you cut a tree down, and uh, sometimes you cut a tree down, a little, a little tree will begin to come up from that tree that, that's a little tender shoot. And, and, and pi- the picture is that in the midst of death and darkness, you have a little life. A little ray of hope. That's what Jesus is in a world of darkness, in a world do- dominated by sin. You have this little ray of hope. A light shining in a dark place. But even more than that, do you, do you know what I think that Jesus is associated with Nazareth because God wants to let us know that Jesus didn't come to save the mighty. He didn't come to save the noble. He didn't come to save the intelligent. He didn't come to save the religious. He came to save humble sinners who are mired in the darkness of a broken world. What a powerful picture. If, if you're here today, just be honest with you, if you're here today and you think you're smart enough to get to God on your own, if you're here today and you think you're going to impress God with your good works, if you're here today and I ask you, if you stand before God today and he were to say to you, why should I allow you into my kingdom? If you start to recite all the good things you've done, you say, well, I'm a good person. I've done this. I go to church here. I try to do some good works over here. If you think you're going to get to God on your own, can I tell you this morning, we can't help you. But if you're here today and you know you're weak and you know you're frail and you know you're not that smart and you know you're a sinner and you know you're broken, boy, do we have a Savior for you. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that good? He goes on to tell us in verse 27, came to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary, Jesus' mother, lets us know here she's a virgin. She's never known a man. Mary herself declares it. Joseph declares it in Matthew's gospel. The angel here declares it because the angel says nothing is impossible with God. A man and a woman's conception of a child is not only possible, it's probable, and it happens all the time. No, Scripture makes abundantly clear Mary has never known a man. And you may ask, well, does that really matter? Folks, not only does it matter, it is essential. It is critical. It's essential to our faith. Because if Jesus is just a product of Mary and Joseph, then Jesus is a sinner. As the psalmist says, he's born in iniquity and conceived in sin. If he's just another sinner like you and me, then he cannot atone for our sins. And you and I are without hope, dead in our transgressions and sins. But the beauty of this is God goes overboard to show us that he is not just a man. He is virgin born and he's the son of God. That the only explanation for the birth of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Scripture leaves no doubt. And then it tells us of Joseph that Joseph is 
is of the descendants of David. And the question is, is that important? Is it important that we know that Jesus is a dis- or Joseph is a descendant of David? That, that's incredibly important. It's, it's hugely significant because we've already said, we said, I said earlier, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a covenant with David. And what did God say to David? He says, I'm, I'm going to send one of your descendants, one of your descendants, and he will establish an eternal kingdom. Meaning David, one of your descendants, is going to be the Messiah. So whoever the Messiah is, they have to be of Davidic lineage. they got to be able to trace their lineage back to David. And so scripture makes clear, Joseph is of the descendants and the, the lineage of David. And I, I greatly admire Joseph because... When you think about this, you realize <laughs> Joseph was of royal lineage. Joseph, if, if the nation of Israel had not gone into bondage, if it were not for the sinfulness of Israel, there's a good chance that Joseph could have been king. He could have sat on the throne of Israel. And yet, where is he at? He's a lowly unknown carpenter in Nazareth. But God knows where he's at, doesn't he? And if there's one thing we've learned in Genesis, nothing is impossible with God, and he's always faithful to his promise, and God has declared one of David's descendants, and if you trace David's lineage down, it's got to be a son of Joseph. And God is faithful. Well, we move on in the narrative, and what else does it say in verses 28 through 30? And coming in, Gabriel said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you you found favor with God. So here's Mary just kind of going through the routine of the day, and suddenly the divinity breaks into history and says you've found favor with God. And, and Mary knows her Bible. She knows that when God shows up and says you found favor with God. Now that's an awesome thing. But it usually comes with great responsibility. You remember Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And guess what he ended up doing for the next hundred years? Building a really big boat. He had a huge assignment. You remember Gideon. Gideon's hiding under an oak tree or at Ophrah. And then, and, and then God shows up to him and says, oh, valiant one. And guess what? Gideon is going to be assigned a huge task of leading a small army against the great Midianites. So Mary hears this and she probably says, great news. But what's involved in all this? And she's perplexed. And the angel just takes one look at Mary. And he understands she is deeply perplexed. So he tries to explain to her. Look at verses 31 through 33. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you'll name him Jesus. He'll be great. and He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Imagine, and just try to put yourself in, in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Think through what this angel has just related to her. Think through the phrases that he mentions to her. You've found favor with God. You're going to conceive a son, and his name will be Jesus. You know, Jesus, it's the same derivative from which we get Isaiah and Hosea and Joshua. It always means the same thing. It means God is salvation, that man cannot save himself. He needs a Savior. And God is saying to Mary, you're about to have the Messiah. And he'll be the Son of the Most High. 
She knew what that meant. She knew this means he is going to be God and he'll be great, not great in the sight of God like John the Baptist. He'll be great because he's God and he'll reign forever. Can you imagine receiving the news that that's going to be your child? And Mary responds like many of us would. Can you run that by me one more time? Not sure about all this. And so in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Mary says, I don't understand this. I'm not, I'm not married. I'm betrothed. I don't, I don't have a husband. She's saying to the angel, I don't know how you can have a baby and not have a husband. You don't understand. And so in verses 35 through 37, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. The angel Gabriel ends with that phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. I, I thought to myself as I was reading this, I think he'd been better off starting there rather than ending there. He should have given her a little heads up. Because everything that the angel Gabriel relates to Mary at this point is all impossible with her. None of this is possible. She's probably wondering, how is this possible? None of it's possible with you, Mary. How can a sinful woman give birth to and raise a sinless son? The answer, she can't do it. Only God can do it. But the good news here is, Gabriel says to her, God will do it. Nothing is impossible with God. But just try to put yourself in Mary's shoes, trying to process this statement. It's absolutely mysterious. In fact, everything about Jesus is mysterious, quite frankly. His birth is mysterious. His death is mysterious. His his burial is mysterious. His resurrection is mysterious. His his ascension is mysterious. Make no mistake about it, this is a life-changing message. But it is also a mind-stretching mystery. And it's a mystery that must be taken with humility and faith. There's no way Mary gets all this. No way she comprehends it. And yet, what is her response? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Listen, I I would argue that this is the greatest statement of faith on behalf of any human individual in the word of God. No way she can fully grasp this. No way she can comprehend this. But she knows what? She knows it's a word from God. And in light of God's word, what is her response? Total submission and obedience and faith. And by the way, do you realize what position she's putting herself in? Because what, what, is, what is everybody going to say? She knows she's been faithful to Joseph. She knows she's been faithful to God. But what is everybody else going to say? They're all going to say she cheated. And what was the punishment for being unfaithful in the midst of a betrothal period? What was the punishment? Death. If you were unfaithful in the betrothal period, your punishment was that you'd be stoned to death. So by Mary responding in faith and saying, I'm the bondservant, let let, let it be done to me according to your word. You know what she's saying? If I got to die, I got to die. Do you know what she's doing here? She's denying herself. She's taking up her cross and she's following the Lord. Folks, that's faith. 
When all you have is a word from God and a promise, and you don't understand it, but you know he's God, and you know he's good, and you trust him, and you obey. It's astounding. I mean, you think about what I mean, ladies, put yourself in Mary's shoes. I mean, in this situation, in the midst of an engagement, and what are you going to say to your parents? What's she going to say to mom and dad? What, what, what's she going to say to Joseph? Now, Matthew's gospel tells us what, what happens with Joseph. And Matthew tells us that an angel appears to Joseph. And if there were ever a husband that needed an angel to appear to him, it was Joseph. And I like to just think these things through and how they occurred. And, and so I'm just going to kind of relate to you how I thought this through and just recognize that not all this is biblical. A lot of this is just Chad, all right? But I'm just trying to think this through. But can you imagine Mary, Joseph, having supper, having dinner. Joseph, when, when, you, when you finish that bowl of soup, I, something I need to tell you. You ever had um, information that you needed to tell somebody, but you didn't want to tell them? You knew you needed to tell them. You knew it was the right thing to do. But you knew if I step out here, they may not love me anymore. You ever have information like that? Can you imagine what Mary's feeling like in this moment? Joseph, I got something to tell you. All right, go ahead. I'm going to have a baby. Now think about Joseph. I just tried to put myself in his shoes for just a moment. And I tell you, it wasn't good. You're going to do what? Mary, do you realize what you've done? You not only ruined your life, but now you've ruined my life. And I can just imagine Joseph getting up and leaving the room because that's probably what I would have done. And Mary saying to Joseph, can we not just talk about this for just a moment? Can I explain to you a little bit more? Now, I'm, listen, Mary, I'm done. I need, to, I need to just, you ever been at a point where you just say, I need some separation and I need to go get some rest? And Joseph leaves the room and he goes home and he probably fighting to go to sleep. Can you imagine? Probably struggling, God, what, are you, what in the world are you doing here? I love this woman, but this is not good. And suddenly, the angel appears before him and says what? Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And it was no less mysterious for Joseph than it was for Mary. Make no mistake about it, what the angel now relates to Joseph is just as mysterious, just as astounding, and just as unbelievable as it was for Mary. But what is Joseph's response? The scripture tells us he immediately took her as his wife. Folks, this is astounding. 
but this is faith. And I think as I studied this, what hit me was every one of us in this room this morning, watching online, wherever you're at, every one of us is in the same position as Joseph and Mary. And quite frankly, we got a little more information than they do. But everything we relate to you about the gospel, it's higher than our minds can grasp. This stuff is divine. It is mysterious. But I'm telling you this morning, just as it was for Joseph and Mary, it's the word of God. And it requires that we take it by faith. That we come to this truth of who God is and who Christ is. And just like Mary and Joseph, the only response to the word of God and his promise is that we submit our lives completely to him. With the attitude of Mary and Joseph that we don't fully understand this. If you're waiting to the moment when you fully get who God is and you fully grasp the incarnation and you fully understand, if you've got to have it all rationalized in your mind, you're going to be waiting forever. Because this truth is too high for us. But it's the word of God. And the only right response is the response of Mary to to lay down our lives, to take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them be in ceaseless praise. You know, so much of our world today, especially in our culture, Christmas is dismissed, isn't it? This week, as I was studying this, I tried to look around and see how many places where you could actually see, like public places, how many times do you see the word Christmas? Almost non-existent. Everybody's afraid to put it out. It's hard to believe that in the 80s, we had a president who actually read the Christmas story on national television. Isn't that amazing? Read the Christmas story. So much of our culture today, it's, it's dismissed, it's trivialized, it's nothing. But I'm here to tell you today, you cannot dismiss Christmas. You may want to, you may not want to think about it, this world may not want to think about it, but you can't dismiss Christmas. You know why? Because Jesus is God. And guess what? He was born. God incarnated himself. Deity united with humanity, and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And he would go on to die on a cross for your sins, for our sins, not for his, because he's God and he's perfect. He died for our sins. He was placed in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the grave, and he ascended to the Father, and guess where he's at today? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is king and his reign is eternal and he is the final judge and you may not like it and you may not want him but one day you're going to stand before him and I'm just pleading with you today I'm pleading with you today I know you're saying I'm not sure I grasp all this but if God is speaking into your life Trust him.
God is salvation. That's what his name means. Because there's no other way. You can't save you. Some of you today, you're living in a mess of sin. You try, you're trying to drive your life on your own. You're trying everything else to make your life right. And it only leads to more brokenness. You just find yourself right back in a place of brokenness. There's only one hope of salvation. And it's God who has come for us, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that this Christmas, you would receive the greatest gift, which is the gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Trust Him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have loved us, that you came for us. God, we we can't grasp this. It's too high. It's too wonderful. It's too sublime. But God, we know it to be true. We believe in it with all of our hearts. And God, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, never trust in you, maybe they got a thousand questions in their minds right now, but they know this, you're speaking in their heart. They may not know a lot of things, but they know they're a sinner and they know they're broken. And they know they've tried a lot of other things and they've never led to life. God, I pray today that while they may not understand all there is to you and all you've done for them, I pray today you would overwhelm them with the truth, the simple knowledge that you know them and you love them and you came to save them. And God, I pray that they would trust in you. God, I know today I can't talk anybody into trusting in Jesus. It's your work. All of us that know you can testify. We came to faith not because we logically figured it all out. We came to faith in Christ because you spoke into our hearts and you revealed our sin and you showed us who Jesus was and we trusted in him. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you in DeSoto, in Olathe, in the venue service right here in this room or online in their home, God, I pray, draw them to yourself, overwhelm them with your love. I pray that they would trust in Christ. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray, Lord, that our attitude would always be that of Joseph and Mary, that in the light of your word, our heart would be to lay down our life and just to follow you. To step out in faith, not knowing where you're going to lead us, not knowing where we might go, not having all the answers to our questions, but knowing that you're God and you're good and you're our only hope. And we're just following you, knowing that you'll lead us home. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.